Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. Every Tuesday and Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, live on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders, also available after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network and YouTube, part of Football Outsiders every day during the NFL football season, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. live on Twitch. Hop on there and ask us questions. Uh, But since it's Friday specifically, we're going to do the fantasy preview of all the games coming up this weekend. A lot to cover. And we have a very special, excellent guest, Scott Pianowski, sports writer for Yahoo. Scott, what's going on? How did week one treat you? Uh, yeah, there are some hits, there are some misses, but overall, I, th- I think it, it came out to be a profit. Um, look, I nice. mean, look, NFL season is 18 weeks now, so um, <laughs> nobody, nobody ever Long got way. a trophy after one week of football, but uh, off to a good start. And, and fortunately, just some of the things that have, some of the things that people couldn't have foreseen, you know, um, some of the running back injuries and stuff. I haven't had that hit my rosters too badly, which is really more luck than anything else. Yeah. I didn't have any Brandon Ayuk, mostly because I, I thought Debo Samuel was a better value, you know, so I feel lucky for that. Although, so knows, far, so I, good there. Yeah. And maybe Ayuk could smash it this week. I mean, he's a talented player, of course. And, you know, San Francisco is, is probably the big story of week one, but, you know, I think that the whole idea is I just don't want to get buried in, in September. I'd like mm. to get off to a good start. I feel like once more clarity comes in and, you know, you guys know what football outsiders, you know, you need more data before the numbers actually have some meat to them. Definitely. So my goal is always to survive September. Yes. I'd love to be four and hour three and one or something like that, but this will be the time where I think we have to fly more blind than we will later in the season. When we can make more informed decisions. Yeah. Well, we're going to hit on a lot of those, you know, like the new changing guards, the guys that are injured, some of that stuff. We're going to hit on a lot of that today, but the general premise this Friday and every Friday, we're going to go game by game, hit on what we think is the major storyline of the game in the debate. Uh, my favorite DFS play. And then we can see how much Scott agrees with me, but let's get that started with the Bengals at bears game this Sunday at 1 PM. It's in Chicago, but pretty good weather, 79 degrees and clear. My major storyline, Scott is will the Bengals pass protection sabotage Joe Burrow's potential year two breakout uh, in week one, the Bengals allowed a 33% pressure rate, fourth highest in the league. Obviously, that's a scary thing to see after Burrow's uh, injury last year. Are you worried that that's going to be what's going on again this season for the team? I mean, I'm certainly concerned. And I think if whether or not they solve that, whether or not they can keep Burrow upright and, and just not keep him taking the pounding that he did last year, part of that was inexperience. He probably held the ball longer than he needed mm-hmm. to at times. But uh, I was encouraged by what I saw from the Bengals offense. Joe Mixon let it all all running backs and touches uh, you know, one of those. We, we love bell cow backs. There aren't that many of them left in the NFL. I love that the play, the real signature play of the overtime was burrow checking out of a fourth down run and checking to a pass Jamar chase after an absolutely horrible preseason, whatever that means. He said, oh, no, no, I still know how to play football and played really well, but you, you nailed it. I mean, there was the inflection point for the Bengals on the draft, right? Were they going to go with yeah. a lineman? Mm-hmm. Were they going to go with another receiver? Somebody who burrow already had obviously familiarity with, and a lot of people thought maybe they picked wrong. And for one week, I'm encouraged. It's just a matter of, I think part of, because remember, I always view quarterback pressure and quarterback sacks as a quarterback stat as, yes. as well as an offensive line stat. Absolutely. And I think you know Burrow being able to diagnose plays before, you know, set protections, change out of a bad play, get the ball out when he needs to, that will be part of him staying upright as much as it will be the pass blocking. So I, his further development as a pro is something I'm looking for. I would love to see the Bengals be a top 12, top, even a top half offense. I think that would set us up to, to make values on, on where all the receivers were drafted because there were three viable receivers mm-hmm. to be drafted. Their ADPs I thought were all reasonable. So I'd like to believe that the the good side of the Bengals offense we saw in week one is going to be the story more often than not, but you nailed it. It's going to be a matter of, can they keep Joe Burrow on one piece because they can't have him hit at the rate he was last year. 
Well, let me piggyback on your point about quarterbacks being responsible for their sacks as much as their offensive pass protection. I mean, last year we saw that with Burrow as a rookie. He had a 7.3% sack rate, which isn't egregious. I mean, guys like Wentz were over 10%, so it wasn't like it was a catastrophe. But without Burrow, the Bengals had an 8.3% sack rate with their other quarterbacks. So kind of digging into what you say, I think you would hope that as Burrow gets more comfortable, maybe that number will come down even from what it was in his rookie season. And I'll remind everybody with the Vikings that although they had the third lowest defensive pressure rate last season, they also were missing Daniel Hunter for the full season. Michael Tummer, uh, Michael Pierce was a COVID opt-out. They've added Dalvin Tomlinson this season. I know those guys are interior guys, but I think it just kind of adds some bodies to, to that front that can maybe help this out. Whereas in 2019 with, with Hunter healthy and, and some of the other guys, they had a 30% uh, pressure rate. So I don't think it's ridiculous to assume that a lot of this was, you know, matchup specific and that maybe Burrow and the Bengals won't be too bad. It had to drive Mike Zimmer crazy to have a bad defense all last season. <laughs> As you said, a lot of it was personnel, right? I mean, I don't think we can hold Bill Belichick mm-hmm all that accountable for the 2020 Patriots season because he just lost so much of his personnel because of COVID opt-outs. So I'm really curious to see if Zimmer, because yeah, Zimmer's a defensive guy and yeah. I know we're not talking about the Vikings specifically in this game, but I, I'm curious to see now that they're back to more what they actually want to have on the field, what that defense plays like on the Chicago side, Allen Robinson, Hey, he's let out of jail, right? I mean, last yeah. week, Jalen Ramsey, the Rams defense, nobody wants to see that. Uh, he did get targeted liberally, but didn't do much with it. Uh, you would think Robinson, I, I have, a, I think, in the top 15 at wide receiver. So not that people were benching him necessarily, sure. but this is a week you could go back and you could DFS play him or you could play him in some hybrid formats. And it's just nice to have him. I, I know this is like the oldest yarn in the book, but just once I want to see him with a plus quarterback and I'm hoping that will be Justin Fields. <laughs> Fingers um, crossed. It could be right? within a week or two. If I yeah, it goes to back to Penn yeah. State, right? Alan Robinson <laughs> has made, you know, um, and maybe that's what Terry McLaurin's going to go through in Washington. I thought Heineke had some hits and misses last night, but mm. just once I'd like to see some of my favorite receivers have really great quarterbacks. And, and I'm hoping that Fields will be that guy. Do you have a sense of when they might make the change? It sounds like it's, it's going to be Dalton for the revenge game. But wh- where do you think yeah. the cadence is of a baton change? So as of the preseason, I was projecting it to happen between weeks four and 11, which I know is kind of a wide berth, but like that's kind of the way our projections work is they like draw a linear line there between week four and seven and then say, oh, it starts at 0% and goes up to 100% chance. Um, but week four, I've been kind of eyeing because like it's – it's a soft game. I think it's a home game. Again, you're kind of dodging these early season opponents like the Rams. I think you would ideally like to get him in a, in a favorable week one where he's not getting pressured to death behind a really poor offensive line, right? Yeah, I actually, I know this goes contrary to maybe what the Twitter thought was, but I didn't mind him not starting against the Rams. I mean, don't mm. we, we don't need Aaron Donald to, to knock the confidence out of him. I, I, I would like to see him have a soft landing for his first start. Chicago, I realize that, look, Nagy's probably coaching for his job, but I don't think anybody sees this as a legitimate championship contender right now. It's the idea is that the plane is taking off. It's it's not at a full descent in 2021. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind trying to find that soft spot in the schedule where you set him up to succeed right away. I actually think that's perfectly reasonable. Well, my DFS play this week is actually kind of targeting the Bears defense more than looking at their offense. And it's Jamar Chase. It's 5,500 in FanDuel. I think that's 1,200 underpriced. He outsnapped T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd 90% to 74% apiece in week one. I think Higgins may have been out a little bit with an injury, but still a good sign for Chase being a number one receiver for the team. He looked great, didn't have the drops issues. And, you know, Jalen Johnson is the Bears' best corner. He's a second-year player. Uh, he was kind of middling in yards per target allowed. Do you think Chase can have a big game this week? Oh, I like that. I, I think that's the case where the price hasn't caught up yet. So mm-hmm. you're still getting some – you get you get a guy who could – 
in the range of outcomes of he could have 130 yards and a touchdown, but you're not pay, you're paying a, a tier two, tier three price. I think eventually yeah. he's going to come up a solid thousand, twelve hundred, you know, regularly every week. I, I don't think the number is caught up to Chase yet. Absolutely. All right. Next up, we have the Texans at Browns Sunday at 1 p.m. Cleveland, 74 degrees and clear. Uh, week one surprises maybe didn't get as big as the Texans having a very effective offensive game against the Jaguars. So my question is, will the Texans be competent such that players like Brandon Cooks and Mark Ingram can have fantasy value this season? What do you think, Scott? Yeah, you know, I would like it because it would just give us more fantasy playability if mm-hmm. they could just be, you know, five and 12 team. A six yeah. and eleven team, a four and thirteen team, rather than the, the one or two team mess that I think most people were expecting. I can't help but shake. I know these two things aren't related, but last year Jacksonville beat Indianapolis in week one. And the yeah. thought was, hey, maybe Gardner Minshew is not that bad. Maybe this Jaguars team can be kind of frisky and they lost the next 15 games. I, I have a feeling yeah. we may be looking back at this Houston result. And, and of course, it said something about Jacksonville too and, and what's going on there. We'll, we'll get to them later, but I think it might come back as a as a result of just, okay, remember when Houston somehow won in week one. Mm-hmm. Now now they're like one and eight. Um, yeah, Ingram didn't have a lot of efficiency, even though he got the carries. They have a, a three-headed backfield. I think Tyron Taylor is a perfectly you – know, I feel sorry for him because, I mean, last year he's the starter. He's going to play in front of Herbert, whatever you make of that decision. He loses the job because of a medical mishap. I mean, yeah, nobody deserves that in their career. I think Tyron yeah. Taylor is okay. I mean, he's, he's probably a high-end backup or a very low-end starter. But man, I just look at this game. What 12 and a half points spread the last I checked. Cleveland <laughs> really, really had a great chance to topple off Kansas City. And, and the Chiefs won like maybe the last 10 minutes of that game and you know snuck it out. I think Cleveland controls this week. I, I think both of the Cleveland backs are in play. Anytime you see a spread this big, it's just you want to get involved in the running game. Um, if you can, I was impressed with May- Mayfield other than maybe that last drive mm-hmm. in Kansas city. So I, I think the Houston game is going to go down as an an- anomaly. I-, I cooks probably has a 65 or 70 catch season coming, but I'm not going to, I think Ingram is fool's gold. Yeah. I think the team is still bad. I-, I don't believe in the infrastructure there. Sorry, Rivers McCown. I, I know you're a long time diary. <laughs> uh, trust Houston, me. He, he's, fan. he is on that block with you. So you don't need to apologize. Right, yeah, the great thing about rivers is, you know, he is he rooting for Houston. <laughs> yes. But is he grounded in reality? Also? Yes. I think the Browns win this lopsided and I'm going to have some Nick Chubb exposure, even though you have to pay up for him. Yeah. Hard for me to disagree with any of that. So before the season, football outsiders projected the Texans for the 32nd DVOA offense, Mm -hmm. but projected the Jags for the 31, the 31st DVOA defense. So like the matchup considerations, I think are a big part of that. And as such, Brandon cooks is my true talent. Number 42 wide receiver in PPR, which is like, you know, in your deeper formats. Yes. But maybe not somebody you're itching to start in your typical leagues. Mark Ingram, I have his 35th and kind of some stats to support what you were saying about the backfield split. He played 46% of snaps, 28% for David Johnson, 26% for Philip Lindsay, even Rex Burkhead played 13%. So it's like, there's definitely a, a committee there, but interestingly, so Derek Klassen, our, our uh, film guy on football outsiders did a, a film room article today, or maybe yesterday on how the Texans were using the pistol in week one with Tyrod, something that Tyrod did near the end of his time in Buffalo with, with Brian Dable as a uh, OC at the time. But that's actually what Ingram was, was running from as part of the Ravens and been part of a, a big key to the Ravens rushing success. And now I'm a little bit intrigued. Like, is that, is that scheme something that's going to maybe make the Texans a better rushing team than you would expect given the actual talent on their team? I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Scott. Maybe it's just something to watch. No, it's definitely something to watch. Um, I'm also going to throw out the kookiest thing going yeah. here with Ingram. He looked faster in the number two. 
I have no proof of that. Just like I think Sterling Shepard is, hard, is harder to cover wearing three than 87. I, yeah. There's probably nothing to that. But uh, betting on 30-year-old 30, 30 and plus running backs is, is just mm. always a bad business. But you're right. I mean, I mean, look, let's give David Kelly a break here. I mean, sure. he inherited a job where the first thing he finds out is that his franchise quarterback, one, doesn't want to be there, and then two, is kind of an NFL purgatory right now as all this legal stuff is playing out. Yeah. And so he's handed a job where, okay, yeah, the, the most essential part of your organization, we can't play him. We can't trade him. Good luck. Go win with this roster. Yeah. Uh, he's been given a really difficult hand. So if, if he can even get five wins out of this, I, I think he's done a hell of a job. I'm with you there. And as such with this matchup, I think you have to look at the Browns for your DFS options. I'm going to say Donovan Peoples-Jones at 3000 and DraftKings is a bit of a value. Uh, I actually was on him a little bit last week that didn't work out, but again, Odell Beckham is going to be ruled out for week two. Um, and while Peoples-Jones didn't do much with actual production last week, he did play 80% of snaps versus 53% for Anthony Schwartz and 7% for Rashad Higgins. So I think that he's clearly the normal number three, I guess you would say, receiver for the Browns, but the, the current number two with, with Beckham out. Would you take a flyer on Peoples-Jones in, your, in DFS as sort of like a deeper, cheaper guy? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Michigan guy. Um, live in okay. Michigan, so i I got to give a little love to the Wolverines. Um, of course, I'm sure when they get to Ohio State, they'll probably lose by 30. But uh, I could see it with people. So the only thing I worry about a little bit is I think Mayfield, as he develops, has become one of those. His favorite receiver is the is the good matchup. His favorite receiver. Yeah. He's not somebody who's just going to pepper anybody with targets off the bus. I think even think when OBJ comes back, that's going to be the, the mindset there. They're going to have one of their, their box score is going to be a phone book. Right. Last week, they had three mm. different tight ends catch the ball. You know, if you wanted to play Austin Hooper, David Njoku got in the way. I can see it with Peoples Jones. I just think he's going to have to make it work with like six or seven targets at yeah, most. You're probably That's right. All, but. Mm-hmm. So it's really only if you're running out of money for your last spot. But, you know, I mean, so he's a reasonable punt intri- play. Intriguing, it, intriguing. Guy. Reasonable punt play. I think he's going to have good efficiency. He's just going to have to do it on like five looks. All right. Game number three, Rams at Colts, Sunday at 1 p.m. in the Dome in Indianapolis. Major storyline, possibly a little bit of a loaded question. Is Carson Wentz back? Uh, I don't ask that because he necessarily played well in week one, but what he did that I liked was after last year when he was kind of playing YOLO ball, just trying to win big on every play, he threw 37.5% of his passes to running backs, which I think fits well with the personnel that he has in Indianapolis and will hopefully help him avoid the pressure problems that he had last season. Did you like what you saw from Wentz and from maybe his, his scheme, his relationship with Frank Reich in week one? I mean, to be fair, they don't have the wide receiver room right now that they would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no T.Y. Hilton. Um, obviously, once missed a lot of the summer work, which is critical when you go to a new team. Yeah, I, I was happy to see when. I mean, look, and the guy was probably the MVP before he has that injury against the Rams back in December a few years ago. So, I mean, this guy was near the very top of the quarterback board, and has crashed so significantly they basically chased him out of town in Philadelphia. I was thrilled mm-hmm. when he went with the Colts because he obviously has the history with Reich and I have a lot of respect for Reich. It's fascinating to me that Jonathan Taylor came into the NFL with this idea that, okay, well, he's great between tackles runner, but you're not going to throw him the ball. He doesn't have mm-hmm. hands. And I think last year when he catched 36 to 39 targets, he was an active receiver in week one, even though they did give Hines a big contract, they made a statement that they still think Taylor is viable. He, he doesn't have to be just a two down thumper that he can yeah. play in different packages or you can run, maybe more of the playbook with him than they originally expected. So I'm encouraged by that. Uh, the, the Pascal two touchdown game is, is, is probably smoke. I, I still think that uh, Pittman is, is an interesting sleeper receiver here. I, I bottom line is I believe in Frank Reich. And I, yeah. and I think 
Reich is, is somebody who can fix Wentz, although it may take some time for that story to develop. The guy in the Rams I'm really fascinated by. There's a lot of good players in the Rams we don't need to talk about. Sure. I mean, everybody knows Cooper Cup is good or Matt Stafford is good. The way they use Tyler Higby oh, yeah. in week one. And this is a guy, look, he smashed in December of 2019 last year with, with Everett there and with Goff kind of struggling. Anybody who bought Higby took a loss at ADP. I think Higby could be a top five tight end because they use him as a hybrid receiver a lot. He's running a lot of pass routes. With your tight ends, you want to see, okay, how often is he blocking? How often is he running a route? How often is he in the slot? You know, what, what's his target percentage when he is actually in a route? And, and Higby, not that he had a huge game in week one, but I thought he had a very positive game that makes him, I think, an every week fantasy starter. I think wherever you drafted Higby, you're set up to make a profit. Absolutely agree. Played also a really big snap percentage, bigger than he typically had uh, with the two tight ends last season. So love to see that. I think that people... I mean, some people saw that coming a little bit with Everett heading to Seattle. One thing that I was a little bit less confident in after the team traded for Sony Michelle late in the offseason was how much work Daryl Henderson was going to yeah. get. But he played 94% of offensive snaps in week one and took 94% of running back carries. As such, I see him as a great DFS option this week, just 6400 in FanDuel. I think that's $1,200 under price. Maybe Michelle is going to get worked in a little bit more as, as time goes on and he gets caught up to speed with the offense. But like Henderson looks kind of like an RB1 right now with a pretty inexpensive DFS price regardless. Yeah, with those snaps and that usage last week, why would you want not want to go back to that, especially with the price mm -hmm. not having adjusted, what, 16 Henderson carries, one for Michelle? Yeah. And the team won, right? Why would yeah. the Rams want to do anything different? They, they were very efficient and very you know, kind of color-by-numbers win over a Bears team that they were expected to beat. I don't see why anything would change. I think Henderson already has 15 touches in his pocket and could easily end up with 20 or more in this game. Absolutely agree. All right, next up, we have the Bills at the Dolphins, Sunday at 1 p.m. in Miami, 87 degrees and clear. The major storyline, I don't think there's anywhere else to go here, but should you worry about the defenses maybe figuring Josh Allen out? But Maybe there being some sort of regression here, but maybe more along the lines of the Steelers um, not blitzing specific game plan in week one. Uh, last season, Allen saw blitzes on 39.5% of his pass attempts. That was fourth highest of the position. The Steelers blitzed on 40% of their defensive plays, also fourth highest of the position, but they blitzed just 2% of the time in week one and upset the, the Bills up in Buffalo. Is that something that other teams can maybe learn from, or is that just kind of a quirk. I mean, the Steelers have great personnel on defense too. What, like, what are your thoughts there? With yeah, I, I think it's the second thing that mm -hmm. it's, it would be great to replicate what Pittsburgh did if you have Pittsburgh's personnel. Yeah. Anytime you can get pressure on the quarterback with a limited amount of players devoted to that, you can get a, a four man base rush mm -hmm. and still. Mm -hmm collapse the pocket and you've got seven people in coverage. That's it. You know, it's like the, the way the giants beat the Patriots in the super bowl in, in 2007, right? They got a great unbelievable push from their interior guys. Yeah. And then they had all these people in coverage. Again, I think teams are going to try to frustrate Allen and say, Hey, you're not going to beat us with five play drives or three play drives. You're going to have to go 15 plays and you have to take what we, we give you, not take what you want. But Pittsburgh might have the best defense in the NFL. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I just don't know how many teams can replicate that. Now Miami's interesting because I, I'm curious what you make of their defense. I think it has the potential to be a plus unit and they have mm -hmm. pieces on it. I like, I'm not sure the whole unit is something I necessarily trust. I thought new England actually outplayed Miami by a, a mild amount last week, but the fumbles ended up mm -hmm. hurting the Patriots and uh, taking my pick and ripping it up as, as that <laughs> were, but I'm not sure. I would think Buffalo gets back to not that they're going to throw up 40 in this game, but I would think Buffalo's offense would be more the Buffalo offense. We expected yeah. because Miami doesn't have Pittsburgh's per personnel, but I would think Miami would be smart for them to at least try to take a page from what the Steelers did and force 
Buffalo to be patient and see if Josh Allen can handle you know, just throwing the seven yard past the Beasley, the, the 11 yard out the digs and maybe not throwing over the top of this defense. Yeah. I, mean, I think the numbers back you up for sure. The Steelers had the number one DVOA pass defense last season. I think the money would be on them repeating that with the, the main players that they kept. Plus Josh Allen generally was, was pretty darn good against blitzes and against non blitzes last season. So against blitzes, 64.7% completion, 7.6 yards per attempt. 14 to two touchdowns to interceptions, but against non-blitzes, 72% completion, 8.2 yards per attempt and 23 and eight touchdowns and interceptions. So I think you're right that it's like, it's great to maybe not blitz them and play in coverage, but if you, if you can't generate pressure that way, then it's not going to help you. You kind of need both things to happen at once. And that's why I'm not really worried about Allen in the long term this season. The Dolphins, I agree, are an interesting team, but I don't really think they're in the Steelers mold of good defense. I think they're really more like a better version of the chiefs defense where it's like, you're not necessarily limiting yardage and limiting scoring as much as like putting your players in interesting positions and trying to generate turnovers. And while the, the, you know, the two running back fumbles may have been a bit of a quirk for the Patriots last week. I think the, the dolphins were a top five team in turnover differential last season, even though they were kind of turning the ball over some themselves on offense. So I think the dolphins key to winning this game may be to force turnovers, but I don't think that's going to lead to a bad fantasy day for Josh Allen by any stretch. I'm also curious to see what this Miami offense looks like now that they get Will Fuller into the fold. So, you know, the, the I've struggled with trying to figure out just how good Tua is. It's mm-hmm. so difficult when these guys come out of college where they play with every possible tool, yeah. every possible skill player that you could want, which is what Tua had at Alabama. Joe Burrow had that at LSU. It doesn't mean they can't be you – know, Kyler Murray had a embarrassment of riches. All the Oklahoma quarterbacks mm-hmm. have played so well in recent years. doesn't mean these guys can't be good pros, but it's just hard to separate it, right? But – yeah, yeah. Miami certainly tried to stock the fridge for Tua. They got him one of the Atlanta receivers in Waddle, I thought, who had a good opening game. Devontae Parker, who was kind of the forgotten mm-hmm. guy in draft season, he he represented in week one. And now they get Fuller, who you know, I think every time you draft Will Fuller, you think I'm getting 11 or 12 <laughs> games. But usually those 11 or 12 games are really, really good. So I, I can't wait to see what Tua does with his full comp. I'd also like to see Mike Gusecki maybe step on the field this week because he was pretty invisible last week. But I think the pieces are around Tua. I think it's up to him to show that he can be a plus quarterback for this team. So funny that you bring up Will Fuller's availability because I just saw before the show that he's actually not going to play in week two. Oh, really? Okay. He was eligible. His suspension was up, but he's not playing for personal reasons, which we don't have any more information than that. Um, hopefully he'll be back in week three. Um, but I've been banging the drum about that as a guy that I think supports Tua as a player that could have a good season this season, because I just don't think the players were the right fit for Tua's skill set last season. You mentioned Gasicki. He and Devontae Parker both were bottom five in average separation last year by NFL Next Gen stats. Mm-hmm. And Tua doesn't have a great arm. Like he's not going to be making those contested throw, tight window throws the way that Ryan Fitzpatrick could. That's why I thought it made so much sense to grab Jalen Waddle in the draft to bring in Will Fuller, guys that are going to be able to separate, get up and down the field. I think that can really do wonders for him, kind of helping helping out in the second season. Uh, unfortunately, it's just not going to be this week for Will Fuller. Uh, so I'm not necessarily on the Dolphins skill talent from a DFS perspective, although Waddle may be a discount as the de facto wide receiver one. The DFS play that I would actually suggest in this game is Cole Beasley at 4,600 in DraftKings. I see him as $800 underpriced. Good week one, eight catches, 60 yards on 13 targets, maybe a little bit matchup specific, uh, but he also set career highs pretty much across the board as the big beneficiary of the Josh Allen breakout. He also played 91% of offensive snaps in week one. And I think we were worried bringing in Emmanuel Sanders, who has the versatility to play in the slot, that maybe that would get in uh, and kind of cut into Beasley's time. But Gabriel Davis was the the bigger loser, 51% offensive snap share. So you think Beasley is a good DFS option for you this week too? 
I do. And I think he was underpriced all draft season because, you mm. know, there are some things off the field that, that maybe not, not may not jive yeah. with some people. And, and you know, sure. we're, look, we're just in it for the numbers. Right. And Cole Beasley has a great rapport with Josh Allen. You know, he's, he's that bass guitarist on this offense. He reminds me a little bit of what, what Julian Edelman used to do or Danny Amendola, guys like that with new England. I, I think he's going to have six or seven catches in this game. And has a ver- very high floor with also a twinge of upside. So everybody listening to us after the fact right now on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, remember Monday through Friday, Football Outsiders is live on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. I would encourage you to get on there. You can ask us questions live during the show. Also check out everything going on at footballoutsiders.com. I have waiver wires, start and sit articles. We have really great products as part of the FO Plus package. So get on there and check that out. Continuing with the preview though, Patriots at Jets, Sunday at 1 p.m. in New York, 76 degrees and clear. Uh, I think we think this is a great matchup for a lot of the Patriots players, um, but is the Patriots, are they going to change their distribution of running back workload after week one when Damian Harris played a ton, um, 53% of offensive snaps. Um, I think he had 23 carries versus just four for James White and one for, for Stevenson, but fumbled late in the fourth quarter. Is there a workload reduction coming for Harris? That's that's the question of the week for New England for sure. Is he going to be sent to Lawrence Maroney Island? <laughs> every every coach on any level hates fumbles, but Bill Belichick yeah. probably hates them more than most people. And I, I think Harris is too talented for that. I think he's going to at least get the chance to redeem himself. Now he can't fumble again. If, if he fumbles, if you see Damian Harris fumble in the first quarter, you might as well just write down zero in your, in your notebook and move on because they're going to do something else. I'm curious to see if J.J. Taylor, who looked pretty good in the summer, yeah. maybe he can cut, cut into a role here. Uh, Stevenson had just the one carry. That was a fumble last week, so maybe he's been put at the bottom of the pecking order. But the Patriots, even with all the moves they made in free agency, this is still a very ordinary group of skill talent. You could even say it's below average. And so I don't think they they have the luxury of saying, well, okay, we're going we're gonna to put Harrison fumble jail. I think they need him on the field. Yeah, I want to say with the Patriots, I was very encouraged with – I thought Mac Jones played – a very poised game. I thought his pocket awareness was excellent. Finding yeah. you know, when his body's around him, finding that quiet place where he can release and, and get his feet where he wants it to. Decision making was good. I thought his ball placement was good. Did you play a perfect game? No, but I think the Patriots can feel confident that he's a long term answer. I mean, we'll see how how great he can maybe be. Maybe he's going to be more good in the in the Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco mold. You know, yeah. Kirk Cousins, somebody like that. But. I think they, they have to feel really good about the pick they made and the way Jones, even in a loss, the way he comported himself in week one. I'm still going to play Harris progressively, um, yeah. uh, proactively, I would say, because I don't think the Patriots have enough talent at running back to at least not give him the first chance this week. He can't fumble again, but I think he's still going to get 15 to 20 touches in this game. Yeah. One quirky, fun stat is, you remember Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis, the, sure. the law firm? Awesome. He, he didn't fumble in his first four seasons with the Patriots. Now, he wasn't necessarily like a bell cow that entire time, but I just, I find that really funny when you see players like Harris that I think are dramatically more talented runners. Um, but that kind of stuff kind of works into the mix. That being said, I'm with you. I'm, I'm still trusting Harris. He's my number 31 true talent running back right now. Mm-hmm. I think Stevenson will get a little bit more into the mix going forward. But I think Harris, he had also like three targets last week. He didn't have three targets in a game last year. I think he just had seven all season. So I think he actually may be a little bit more valuable in fantasy than I thought of him in the preseason, despite the fumble. But what you were saying about Mac Jones, I think maybe the bigger point here from a fantasy perspective, I was already prepared to play some Patriots running backs this season, but Jones looking so good distributing the ball accurately. I think that opens the door to some of the Patriots wide receivers and tight ends for fantasy. 
And for uh, for DFS this week, I think Hunter Henry is the one I want to look at. $5,100 in FanDuel, I think is $700 underpriced. Both Henry and Jonu Smith played more than 70% of offensive snaps. I think we probably expected, given the, the money, that both of them would play a lot as part of a two tight end set, but they did it. Uh, and the Jets are a big booster of tight end yards and touchdowns per target, 12% and 69% respectively. So I think both Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry can be top 10 tight ends for you this week. Uh, do you have a preference between the two? I, I might lean a little bit towards Smith, but I have no problem with either mm-hmm. one of them. And also, I don't have the Jacoby Myers price in front of me, but if it's reasonable, he may be somebody I consider as well. Not, I wouldn't play them together, of course, but uh, Jacoby mm-hmm. Myers is also – I think he's going to have an 80-catch season. Oh, absolutely. 99% of offensive snaps in week one. So if you thought that the tight ends coming in or maybe some of those free agent wide receivers like Aguilar and Bourne were going to disrupt what he showed last season, I don't think that's true after week one. All right, next up, 49ers at Eagles, Sunday at 1 p.m. as well, in Philly, 77 degrees and clear. Major storyline here. I mean, there are probably a lot that we could hit, but I'm going to start with the 49ers because uh, we had some unexpected workloads, I would say, in week one, where Trey Sermon was unhealthy and active. Eli Mitchell ended up playing most of the whole game because Raheem Mostert went out after four snaps and is out for the year now and looked great, was the number one waiver wire pickup for many this week, including me. Uh, plus, Trent Sherfield actually started over Brandon Ayuk at wide receiver, uh, which I, I definitely didn't see coming. Uh, how can you unpack what's going on with the 49ers here, Scott? Yeah, I mean, nobody saw the the wide receiver situation. And it's interesting where Mitchell, uh, although this wasn't reported, you know, we're at a time now, it's hard for the beat writers. So much of practice they're not allowed to see. Uh, locker room access has changed. The the players and the the teams go to the, the fans directly, a lot of times the media as the middleman isn't used anymore. So it's true. the information, and we'll go Kyle Shanahan, he'll give out his ATM number before he'll give out his usage pattern for the coming <laughs> week. I mean, we're just not going to get that stuff. So nobody saw Mitchell coming. Um, but what's the lesson here? The lesson here is that anybody who is on this roster at running back who has a glimpse of talent, which could be Jermichael Hasty, which could be Wilson yeah. when he comes off IR, um, yeah, which could be Sermon. Sermon could dress again this this week, mm-hmm. and who's to say that maybe when his package comes in, maybe he doesn't you know look really good, and they roll with a hot hand here. I get why Mitchell was the number one ad. Yeah, like the Shanahan offense, he played great. The offensive line is excellent. This looks like a team that's going to win eleven or twelve games. These are all correlated things that we want, but you have to go into it with both eyes open. That I don't, we have no confidence that this ultimately at the end of the year, Sermon could still be their best back. True. Or maybe Hasty's going to have a, a game or here or there. It's going to be hard to project it. And the IU thing, nobody could have seen that coming. I mean, he, he was going before Debo Samuel in drafts by a yeah, round yeah. or two. I think he has a higher upside. I feel like he can definitely run a bigger route tree, although Samuel is really good at the things that Shanahan wants, that yards after the catch stuff. But And oh, and oh by the way, we haven't also mentioned – we've talked all this about the Niners. We haven't mentioned the fact that they played two quarterbacks in week one, You know, primarily Garoppolo, but yeah. but Lance get on the field. He, he stole <laughs> a touchdown, and they have one of the best tight ends in football in George Kittle. So – I said before the season that I thought the Niners might be, have the biggest gap between being a great real life team and kind of a frustrating fantasy team, just because you need projectable usage beforehand. We need to be able to call the shot. You know, it's not enough to say, Oh, they had a big game from a couple of guys. Fine. If you couldn't get to it beforehand, it's of no use to us. So I, I think that I, again, I think it's a top five offense. I just I have a feeling that this backfield is going to be more of a hot hand situation. Uh, mm-hmm. I like the way the matchup was going. Uh, you know, maybe if somebody misses a blitz pickup or puts the ball on the ground, it just gives them a reason to start. They're gonna they're gonna be like a baseball team where they don't have one true closer. It's like yeah. they have four or five guys who can maybe go into the eighth and ninth inning. And it's a lot of it is matchup driven. I think maybe not quite to that extreme, but I think we're gonna see a lot of that 
and, and also in the Philadelphia side, man, I, we talked about this very briefly before we went on air. Do you think it was more the Eagles? Hey, maybe they're better than we thought, or maybe it's a case of, Hey, Falcons team, look out below. These guys could be worse than we thought. Well, I, I know it doesn't have to be binary. It could be some mm-hmm. of both. It, you know, one week in the NFL doesn't always tell sure. us anything definitively, but what was your strongest takeaway about what that lopsided game, what that result said to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the Eagles side of it was more interesting to me because um, I think something that we may have missed on was that the Eagles were a top five defensive pressure team last season, but the offense was so bad and so injured that I think it sort of sabotaged whatever that would be. Like there's an interplay between offensive success and defensive success. Absolutely. And I think with a much healthier pass protecting unit that sort of let, let the Eagles be in favorable situations where then their defense could kind of thrive, especially against maybe an undermanned um, Atlanta Falcons offensive line. So like, I was definitely encouraged by what I saw from the Eagles that way. And I think that it looked like they were putting Jalen hurts in a lot better situation for his skill set. where I've been like, I've been kind of nervous that he's not going to make it through the year this year, not because he's going to get hurt. Um, it, it's just that like, I'm not sure before the draft, we were all saying that we're not really sure he's a great NFL prospect. He doesn't really have the arm talent. He really underwhelmed the red zone last season but if he's actually going to run that kind of Shanahan style, like low average depth of target offense, relying on his guys to succeed after the catch. And they have some guys that can do that. Like Devonte Smith, I think it can work. And I think if they can stay healthy, they actually are going to be in the mix in the NFC East. And I definitely didn't see that coming. I love the point you made. And I think this gets overlooked sometimes of just how the success of a defense can have something to say about the success of an offense yeah, and yeah. vice versa. And when a defense is being, sabotage, I think is the word you use, you know, it's going to let's, let's put this way. People ask me every week, who should I play at defense special teams? You know, it's, it's so fluky. It's, it's all, it's all luck based, you know, who, who knows who's going to get a scoop or score. And I always say, well, you have to look at the expected game flow and, you know, ride with a favorite and stuff like that. The success, what makes a good fantasy defense is in part, how good the fantasy offense is. Are they going to be playing with leverage? Can they pin their ears back in the second half? And I think you make a great point that because the Philadelphia defense, and wasn't it great to see Fletcher Cox doing Fletcher Cox things and, and just how they stuffed basically Atlanta for about the final three quarters yeah. that enabled Philadelphia to do what they wanted on offense and to, to let the game come to them and not necessarily have to chase the game. I, I think it's a great point. I, Hertz was a guy, if we had talked in May or June, I would have anticipated Hertz would have been my most drafted quarterback. Interesting. And I backed off and backed. I just get a little bit more nervous and a little bit more nervous and a little bit more nervous to the point that I wasn't even touching him yeah. in late August. And I can't help. I'm a human being. I, I saw them play the first week. I'm like, man, Devonta Smith is more NFL ready than I expected. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this offense actually, you know, Sirianni too, it was, it was really hard for me to know. I, I didn't know a heck of a lot about him when he took that job. I saw a couple of his press conferences were a little bit quirky, but that doesn't mean he can't be a good coach. I'm, it's not like I'm in on the skull sessions and, and I know how he's relating to the players. You know, you have to, a lot of that is guesswork. And, and just because he came from presumably a good coaching tree, that doesn't necessarily guarantee us anything. Look at all the Bill Belichick coaches, you know, before Brian Flores, who have been disappointments, you know, I mean, Andy Reed, you know, Turk, uh, Nagy's record is, is a reflection of Andy Reed. Andy Reed's a great coach and Nagy hasn't proven to be one, but I'm thinking I might've been wrong on the Eagles I, after one week. I'm thinking that this offense is a lot more potential and, and maybe a lot more diversity of playmakers, which is all going to, even if you don't know where the ball's going, sometimes that's going to set up hurt hurts with his running ability mm-hmm. and this deep of a crew to throw to, he could be a top five fantasy quarterback. He definitely can. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of potential optimism for both sides in this game. I actually settled on Eli Mitchell as my favorite uh, DFS option, $5,000 in DraftKings. I think he's $1,400 underpriced. 
I'm nervous about it. Um, you brought up Trey Sermon. He actually is going to be active this week, if you can believe what Kyle Shanahan is saying at this point in the week. Um, and I think that makes sense because, again, like Mitchell and Hasty were special teams contributors. It made sense that they would be active maybe when Sermon wasn't last week. I think both are going to play this week. But here's the thing. I just don't think it matters. Like before the year, I thought that Mostert and Sermon were both like tracking towards top 30 value because I just I think that the, the Shanahan run scheme is so effective. They're going to run the ball so often that both backs can, can succeed. And I think Mitchell is like a perfect Mostert replacement. They have the same 4.3240 speed that's basically the best among all running backs in the NFL. And it just Mitchell's such a great fit for this offensive scheme that I think he's going to be good, even if he isn't going to have like what 19 of 20 carries going forward. And so I'm really going to ride him this week when he's still pretty inexpensive. Is that is that crazy? Or are you with no, me? No, I there? like it. I like it because I think it's safe to say that the price hasn't adjusted enough yeah. yet. And and I love that there's a, a physical overlap between what makes Mostert good and what presumably mm. makes Mitchell good. I mean, they, yeah. they seem to fit the same skill set, which Mike, yeah, Kyle, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan is, Kyle Shanahan, is certainly yeah. going to put to use. Yeah, actually, Mostert over the last two years has led all running backs in yards before contact per attempt, something we don't often associate with backs. I think you think of that as being a run blocking metric, but I don't mm. think it's a total coincidence that, that, that Shanahan seems to target those speedy guys and sometimes they come out of nowhere. All right, next up, we have the Raiders and Steelers, 1 p.m. in Pittsburgh, but still good weather, 71 and clear. Uh, Scott, can the Steelers' offensive line block for Najee Harris? Uh, it was great to see him get literally 100% of the offensive snaps in week one, which I'll point out that since the last three years, Christian McCaffrey, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, and Leonard Fournette. That's the full list of guys that had done that. So you love that. Opportunity often leads to the fantasy success, but the Steelers had – the worst adjusted line yards run blocking last year in the NFL. And they looked pretty bad against the bills in week one. Is this going to be okay? Yeah, this is a, a big, the big story with Pittsburgh is can they get this offensive line that was bad last year that looked bad on paper into the season? Can they coach it up? Can, can they find a unit that gels? Can they find some cohesion? Yeah. They want Harris to play all the time. They want Harris. I think they want him to touch the ball even a lot more than he did against against the bills in week one. I agree. And I think he set up really well here. Okay. Pittsburgh six and a half point favorite. Vegas plays Monday night. They play an overtime game. They play their mm -hmm. first home game in front of a crowd. Big emotional win. And now they come in short rest, 10 a.m. body clock. I think they come out emotionally flatter and maybe even physically flatter than a pancake. And the Steelers win something like 27 to 13, something like that. Although I want to admit that I, I think Derek Carr was one of those guys who was so underrated, he was overrated for a while. And okay. I, think I started to just discount Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is a better football player than I wanted to give him credit for. And I think there was a great buying opportunity with Darren Waller all summer that I did not take advantage of. Uh, granted, the receivers I was taking in that pocket are, are probably going to be fine players, but man, did Waller look uncoverable as basically a hybrid oh, wide receiver in he that was first week. But, but this week, I think the Raiders, it's just the, the way the emotional rhythms of an NFL season go. And when you're asked to play a Monday night game, it goes long. It's physical. It's emotional. All the ebbs and flows and swings of that game. And now you go to a place like Pittsburgh, tough place to play, maybe the best defense in football. I think this sets up perfectly for Harris. I think he's going to have 25 touches in this game. And yeah. even, so maybe he has like the Mark Ingram line, right? Maybe it's like, you know, the, it's three and a half yards a carry, but he touches the ball so much and he has goal line equity that he still ends up being a top 10 running back. I would play him very confidently in any fantasy format. Yeah. I actually have Harris as my number, uh, my number one DFS play for this game. He's 6,100 in FanDuel. I think that's $1,500 underpriced. And I'm not trying to dismiss what we saw as being major run blocking concerns. Like as mentioned, I had those concerns coming into the season and it's such that even though Harris is literally playing every snap, I think it's going to be sort of matchup considerations that drive when you want to use him and when you don't. Mm 
And I just love the Raiders matchup. I mean, everything you said about, you know, playing overtime on Monday night, the quick turnaround, that's all great. But two, I'll add to that, that the Raiders boost rushing touchdown percentage by 60%. That's the highest in the NFL. Granted, that's a projection kind of entering the year, only including one week so far for this season. But as good as they're all, as good as their defense looked as like an improved unit in week one against the Ravens, most of that success seemed to be kind of coming through, through for the pass rush. And you saw the Ravens shift more of their work toward the power back uh, in the second half in overtime. And I think that's kind of what Harris is going to be able to do in this week is just kind of power up through the middle. And, you know, it may not be the most efficient game in the world, but like you said, like it could be 25 touches easy such that I think Harris has a really good chance to, to get a lot of work to score touchdowns and be a great value for you in DFS. Totally agree. All right, next up, Saints at Panthers, Sunday, 1 p.m. in Carolina, 82 degrees and clear. The main storyline, and I've, I've struggled with this a lot, but is Jameis Winston maybe a top 10 fantasy quarterback? Like, obviously, he had the five touchdown outburst in week one against the Packers, but probably fluky, right? The Packers turned the ball over routinely. Winston just needed 20 total pass attempts. But the Saints also had tremendous pass protection in the game. What are your thoughts on Winston in this offense? First, I think I owe Sean Payton an apology. I was talking <laughs> about the Saints like they were going to go eight and nine. Yeah. And I was really steering away from this offense. You know, obviously, Mike Thomas out for a while. Drew Brees is gone. You know, Kamara is Kamara. Nobody questioned sure. that. And, he, and even the guy who in summer got us all, uh, all excited, Calway, he did almost nothing in this game. But I've just seen James, James Winston has burned me too many times. And mm. I just wonder if maybe the Saints Packers game to give Saints requisite credit, but maybe the Packers just, you know, they, they just weren't ready to play. Uh, that game got out of hand so quickly. Green Bay had like 12 snaps on offense in the first half. And I just feel like there's a two interception, three interception, Jameis Winston. That, that's not far away. And yeah, I'm curious what you make of this Carolina defense. I think it was the youngest defense in football last year. They've drafted and added pieces to it. I, I think it's a good unit. Looked really good against the Jets team. And what do you make of that? I mean, the Jets, you know, their offense is, is certainly a work in progress. We didn't even talk about them in that segment. Yeah. But I think Carolina can win this game. I think Carolina is, is kind of a sleeping giant. You notice McCaffrey last week was in PPR and half PPR formats, was the number one running back without the benefit of a touchdown. That's yeah. just astounding. I think the last person who did that actually was Christian McCaffrey in 2019. That just speaks to how this offense is routed through him. I, I, I'm leading towards as much as I, again, Sean Payton, you, you got to respect him. I five touchdowns and 146 passing yards, whatever it was. That's obviously not sustainable. It's something that I think that, that actually set a new NFL benchmark. I think Winston makes some mistakes this week. I think Carolina makes it a game. I'm certainly going to take the points and I'm not, I know it's tempting to see Jawan Johnson get a couple of touchdowns, but I mean, you know, he, he was outsnapped by Adam Troutman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a committee of some sorts. Maybe Johnson has a Bob Tunyon year where he's hardly targeted, but gets a bunch of touchdowns. But Jameis Winston has pulled out the rug from me before. I need more <laughs> than one game to have a good show of faith. What I would like to see, I have a lot of Robbie Anderson exposure yeah. this year. I love the long touchdown, but otherwise, I mean, the ball was going other places. McCaffrey just such a mouth to feed in that offense. And DJ Moore is a dynamite player, of course. I'm nervous. Even it sounds strange to be nervous about a guy who just had a 57 year touchdown. I was only catch, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm nervous that maybe I may have overdrafted Robbie this year. Well, I'll circle back to the Juwan Johnson point in a minute, but let's start with the Panthers point because I'm a Panthers fan and I've just been kind of nervous to say it all preseason, but I actually think the Panthers have a top 10 defense. It's, Me too. it's, it's kind of crystallizing very quickly, but they've, 
invested a lot, obviously, on the defensive side of the football in, in recent years. Uh, the, the rule uh, uh, coaching staff, they, they drafted all seven of their draft picks a year ago. We're, we're on the defensive side of the ball. The year before, they added Brian Burns, which was the number one sack seer, a pass rushing prospect. He looks tremendous. I think it's, it's definitely going to be front driven. So I, I think there's going to be some matchup plays with the Panthers defense. And this is the week that I don't necessarily love it. Because again, like Winston had zero pressure in week one. The Saints had the 19% offensive pressure rate last year with was fourth lowest. And that's actually why I think that Winston actually has a chance to be very good this season. I just think he was such a terrible fit with, with Bruce, Bruce Arians scheme. Uh, he overlapped with Bruce Arians one year with the Buccaneers. And that was the 30 interception year where Winston already has a predilection to throw the ball deep, take chances. Mm-hmm. And Arians is like crank that to 11, right? Not a good fit for Winston, probably a good fit for Tom Brady. I think we can safely say, but in week one, Winston had a 4.7 yard average depth of target versus 10.4 that last year with the bucks. I think Peyton is going to get Winston to play a little bit more conservative. And I think they're going to be able to haul off the Panthers with that better game plan and with that better pass protection. But over the course of the full season, I, I would be afraid to start a lot of quarterbacks and a lot of skill talent against the Panthers this year, which that probably surprises some people. No, I think you're right on, and I'm glad to hear it from somebody who, who's followed Carolina closer than I am, as, as you're an ardent fan of the team. I also want you fantasy people to keep an eye on Tony Jones. Kamara had 20 mm-hmm. carries in week one. I think there's just the third time, including the playoffs, he's had 20 carries. They, they don't, the Saints don't want Alvin Kamara rushing the ball 300 plus times. Yeah. And I think Jones, it's set up for Jones to be, he'll be like a flex option, or he may, he's not a direct comp to Latavius Murray, but he can, this is an offense that can support two running backs. I think he's probably under rostered in, in Yahoo in different formats right now. Just keep an eye on him because I think that's going to be you know, Kamara, 20 rushes, three receptions. That's not the Alvin Kamara we're used to. I think that ratio is going to go back to more traditional uh, settings. And Tony Jones has some upside in this offense. I mentioned I would circle back to Juwan Johnson, who you mentioned scored twice in week one. You also mentioned that, that Adam Troutman played more. He did. It was much more, 82% versus 19% snap shares. Uh, he saw twice as many targets, six to three. And that's why I actually think Troutman is a pretty good value in Fandle at just $4,500. I think it's a modest $500 under pricing. Um, again, if the Panthers pass rush is good, this, that may be a good option for Winston to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, maybe not necessarily a top 10 tight end for you for the week, but at his price, I think Tra- Troutman is a good value this week. I like it too. And it's, it just shows that you can't just look at the snaps for the tight ends. You have to see how they're being utilized. The fact that Troutman actually drew the targets is as yeah. important as him being on the field. Because if he's on the field blocking, who cares? It doesn't help sure. us. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think he's a sleeping giant right now. All right. Broncos at Jaguars, 1 p.m., Jacksonville, 79 degrees, and actually a 53% chance of light rain. Like light rain doesn't really scare me that much, but I'll definitely keep an eye on some of the weather stuff going forward this year. I think the bigger question really is what's going to happen with the Broncos with Jerry Judy potentially missing the next six or so weeks with his high ankle sprain? Is there a particular player that stands out to you as maybe the fantasy beneficiary? I thought Tim Patrick was the second best out of the week. Um, okay. Denver, what a deep room, right? I mean, I, I know Patrick mm-hmm. bounced around to some different teams. Baltimore looked at him at one point, but I think he has a potential to score eight to 10 touchdowns on a full season. I'm really sad by the way Judy <laughs> got hurt. I thought Judy yeah, was going to have a monster season. Oh, he still can. It is second half, I guess, but yes. Well, it's a high ankle sprain. I just, I just worry that even when he comes back, it's going to be hard to trust him. That's just such a, it's injury screaming for re-aggravation. I, and I love Bridgewater played so well week one. I just love the fact that he not only got the job, but now it's pretty solidified. A team does not, 
it's bad for a team to not know who their quarterback is. You need to have, you don't want to be bouncing back and forth and who is the real guy and other factions in the locker room that, that support one guy or another. And, and you know Bridgewater as well as anybody because he, he played for your Panthers last year. And I, I know yeah. it wasn't the greatest season, but I'd like to think he can be at least a league average quarterback. And I'm excited to see what Patrick can do. I don't know where Cortland Sutton is in his development. You would think mm-hmm. both running backs are going to play. On the Jacksonville side, I know assuming rational coaching can be a mistake, <laughs> but for the love of all things, holy James Robinson is better than Carlos Hyde. I don't care that Carlos Hyde went to the Ohio State University. Like, the I hate the fact that I put State. the article in there. That even frustrates me. Let James Robinson play. Free this guy. He played well last week. He just needs to touch the friggin' football. <laughs> Can't disagree with you there, but let me talk about Teddy Bridgewater real quick. Sure. I keep asking people this uh, because, again, I watched the ball last season. Trivia question How many touchdowns did Bridgewater throw? He played in 15 games last year. Uh, I think it was like 13. Yeah, it was 15. I mean, yeah, very good guess. But, like, yeah. I think that my general point is I think a lot of people would assume that answer was bigger because the Panthers, for all of their issues, had some pretty good skill talent. They moved the ball pretty effectively. And I think it kind of it crystallized for me that I think Bridgewater is like a Kyle Orton type of quarterback in the sense that like, he's good at moving the ball between the twenties, but I don't think it's a fluke that he struggled so much in the red zone because he has a hyper conservative approach. He doesn't necessarily have the best arm. And so I'm not sure that he's the perfect quarterback to like enable the fantasy success of all of his wide receivers, even though I think the Broncos can have an effective offense and with their defense be a very good team. I I'm just not sure that, I wasn't sure that Jared Judy was going to score eight touchdowns, even if he was going to be healthy the whole season. I'm not sure Cortland Sutton will. Like you, I think Tim Patrick's a really good player. He was actually top 20 at the position in DVOA last season among regular wide receivers. He would start for a lot of teams, but is he going to score touchdowns? I don't know. That's the main thing that I'm worried about. I think maybe Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams may be the bigger part of that offense near the red zone. And then maybe also Noah Fant. So Fant is a player that I really like this week in DraftKings at 4200 I think that's $1,100 underpriced. Uh, he led the team with eight targets in week one, didn't score, but I thought looked good coming off that offseason leg injury. So you like the health. And also do the Jaguars are the number one increaser of tight end yards and touchdowns per target, 19% and 113%. Uh, so that's, it just strikes me as like a very appealing matchup for a tight end. And I think, while I think Patrick may be an option for you going forward, I think Fant is the player that I would look to to get the boost without Judy this week, simply because of the matchup. I could certainly see it for Fant. We love tight ends with pedigree into their third season too. And, and obviously Iowa has produced some great tight ends with Kittle, mm-hmm. with Hawkinson. I, I think Noah Fant's going to be a star. It's just a matter of when that star arrives. Yeah. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers heads to town at some time, then he'll probably be a, a huge star. But I guess we're probably a year away from that, right? I hope we get that. I would love to see, I would love to see Aaron Rodgers just to see what he would do on a different team with, with mm-hmm. all that. Not that players aren't motivated, but just with a little yeah. bit of extra edge in his game. Um, I'm looking forward to the Aaron Rodgers Denver Bronco tour next year. All right. Moving to the 4 PM window. I'll try to hurry things up. We're, we're running a little long Vikings at Cardinals in the dome in Arizona. Uh, should you be scared of the Cardinals defense for opposing fantasy matchups? They completely dismantled the Titans in Tennessee last week. Chandler Jones in particular was a game wrecker with, with five, uh, five sacks. Like, is that something that would scare you this week and going forward? It would. I mean, I thought JJ (laughs) Watt had a good game. I thought Chandler Jones was the best player I saw. He was certainly the best defensive player I saw last week. So I think I need to reevaluate this Arizona team. Also, I was worried that Kyler Murray might be more athlete than actual passer. And and Mm -hmm. he made some, I thought he was the best offensive player of the week last week too. So 
maybe I need to reevaluate this Cardinals team. But the thing that's nice with Minnesota is their usage tree is so narrow. We know where the ball's going. It's going yeah. to Jefferson. It's going to Thielen. It's going to Cook. Conklin, to some extent, is, is a playable tight end. And that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, I guess they had a third receiver involved last week. But they're not – there's not two running backs here. They're, they're not going four wide packages. So at least we know where the ball is going. Yeah. But – I thought Arizona was the clear worst team in the NFC West, and then they still could be that team because everybody looks pretty good there. But I think I need to reevaluate them after beating a Tennessee team that I had respect for. Yeah, and I mean, going into the year, I certainly thought the Titans had a better offensive line than than I thought the Vikings had. And the Vikings mm-hmm. are hurt up front. They had major issues there. And so I think this is probably not the week that I'm going to be using a lot of the, the, the more questionable, like the K.J. Osbournes of the world, if I ever am going to use them for the Vikings. Um so to me, like from a DFS perspective, I'm definitely going to ride on the Cardinals more than the Vikings this week. Um, I'm, I'm listing AJ Green as an option here at $3,700 in DraftKings. I see him as underpriced by about a thousand. Uh, he had six targets in week one, which was good. He didn't score. I mean, Christian Kirk scored twice. Rondell Moore looked excellent, but he did outsnap those two, 80% to 57 and 29%. You said you were impressed by Murray's complete game. Like, could he prop up some multiple of these guys in fantasy, or am I? Am I kind of buying into the rebound a little bit too much here with Green? You know, almost every guy you've recommended, I've been like, oh, totally agree, totally agree, totally yeah. agree. And, and Not maybe so it's much boring. <laughs> I, I, I'm just past AJ Green is one of these players. I call it it's a cheese theory that once the cheese goes bad with a certain player at the juncture mm-hmm. of his career where it's gone bad, I just don't bet on the cheese going good again. Okay. Uh, and, and they have they have younger talent there. It was encouraging to see Kirk have a good game last week. Moore had a good game. Obviously, Hopkins, you know, you can count on him just about every week. And and Kyler is always the best bet to run in a touchdown for this team. I, I think green is just too, too far, too far past his prime that even though I see the value case that you're making, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to avoid it. I'm not going to make too hard of a push there. And, and I'm, I'm not going to push for a lot of guys in this next game. Falcons at bucks 405 in Tampa, 88 degrees and clear. I mean, you're going to be panicked in this game, but like, should you more broadly be panicked for the Falcons offense after their, their really poor performance against the Eagles in week one? I think you have to be, but the good sign if, if you ended up with Kyle Pitts this year is that the usage, the plays weren't successful, but he was running the routes you want. He was playing as often as you want. I still think Pitts is going to be a thing that happens. And we know against Tampa Bay, right? They just shut down everybody's running game. So you would think Matt Ryan already has like 45 pass attempts probably in his back pocket in part because you would think that the Buccaneers are going for 30 plus in this game. Man, who do you cover? Who do you prioritize? <laughs> Dallas took Mike Evans out of the game. Okay, great. Well, well, Godwin looked great. Antonio Brown looked like three years ago great. Yeah. Um, you know, and Gronkowski looked you know, about three years ago great too. Um, I, I think Tampa Bay is going to get get their points and, and Ryan's going to have to throw to, to keep up. And I think the Falcons can get to 20 points in this game. That's what you need. I think that's probably <laughs> the number you need to play any Atlanta player with confidence. I think it's probably going to be like 34, 20 Tampa Bay. Uh, also, let me pipe in from our previous game, but useful title on Twitch says that AJ green equals poop emoji. So that's a graphic little image for everybody out there. Not and, an endorsement. You know, I'm hoping that that's not the case, but you know, that's because I'm probably 35 years old myself, uh, but, but circling back to this Falcons bucks game. I mean, I'm, I'm with you in the sense of the Falcons have had a lot of like garbage time fantasy success in the past. And you can kind of see that as being an option, but I'm worried in this week specifically, even if the Bucks build a big lead here, like is the Bucks pass uh, pressure just going to be too much for this Falcons mm-hmm. offensive line? Because the Bucks last year, 29% defensive pressure rate was sixth best in the league. They brought everybody back. They added Joe Tryon, who's looked really good in the preseason. The Falcons in week one started Jalen Mayfield, a third round rookie in week one. He was a right tackle in college, played left guard in this game, got 
beat very badly. Um, and maybe the Cardinal or maybe the, the Eagles are just like really stout up front um, such that maybe this game won't be like dramatically worse or anything. But to me, I'm nervous and I'm nervous about pretty much every Falcon in this game. The only guy that I'm really itching to start is Mike Davis, $5,500 in, in FanDuel, $1,100 underpriced. That may sound weird because the Bucks have the number one DVA run defense from last year. They held Ezekiel Elliott to 33 yards on 11 carries in week one. But Davis played 75% of offensive snaps in week one is like a clear bell cow back for a team that doesn't have anybody behind him. And very importantly, with that respect, has a lot of passing game work, saw six targets in week one. I think that type of work is going to insulate him from matchups in ways that some backs won't be. And so I think that until Davis starts getting a lot more expensive than that, I'm going to be eager to ride him every week, even against some of these bad run defense matchups. Yeah, I, I mean, he has the uh, opportunity in his favor, and he also has a little bit of touchdown equity. You know, it, it may need to be a pass interference call in the end zone, and he punches it in for one yard. But until somebody challenges him for touches, we know he's going to be in the field so much, and that, that's just such an overwhelming advantage when we're trying to figure out where the numbers are going. Useful title points out that that is actually the stinky cheese emoji. So I'm really showing my like lack of familiarity with what's going on on the internet. So thanks for that update, and that's very on point. Um, okay, heading to 425, we have the Cowboys at Chargers in the Dome in Los Angeles. I think the major storyline here, I'm like kind of joking, but kind of not, Scott. Is Dak Prescott going to throw 50 pass attempts every game? He's thrown 47, 57, 58, and 58 in his last four healthy games. It's just crazy. Well, I mean, the Dallas defense didn't look any better to me. I, I, maybe it's unfair to expect them to play that great against the Tampa Bay offense that looked great. And, and by the way, I'm I'm really getting excited that maybe we're going to get Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski back to Pro Bowl levels. Maybe oh it's crazy God. to Gronk get that from one game. Unbelievable! It looks so good. Oh, it so looks, good in Week One. It looks so good, and obviously Brady and Gronk have run a million reps together. I mean, their two touchdowns were wins of mm-hmm. familiarity. I thought uh, this game is going to be probably what eighty percent, ninety percent Cowboy fans. I think Dak's going to have to throw a ton because I can't see how the Cowboy offense is going to stop the Chargers yeah. offense. I'm curious to see. You know, last week. We weren't sure if Eckler would get a goal on carry. He did. We yes. expected Eckler to get like seven or eight targets. That didn't happen. I'm, yeah. I'm very curious if that was a one-week blip or if they go back to previous usage patterns with Eckler. But um, you know, did Dak, I thought Dak looked good. 85%, maybe 90% of Dak. The velocity wasn't mm-hmm. there. The muster wasn't there on some of his passes. But with Gallup out of the way, and, and Cedric Wilson is, is a good player. But Man, I think right now Cooper and Lamb already have double-digit targets in their back pocket. I, I know you have to pay mm-hmm. up for them, but I can't see how both of them aren't in great spots. I think easily you could have a game where they both go over 100 yards and score, and I think it's going to be a ton of DAC volume. I don't like paying up a quarterback for fantasy. I like to kind of find a middle-tier yeah. option, but I, I think Dak's going to be throwing this ball for three and a half hours. I'm not looking at my rankings right now, but I'm pretty sure that I have Amari Cooper sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... Um, Second year player, I'm Brent Blake, on his name. I have Lamb 10th, and I have Dak Prescott, the number three quarterback this week. It all makes sense. So, I mean, I'm expecting a shootout, obviously. I actually think a lot of this is coming from the Chargers side of the ball, where with their new look offensive line, they allowed a 12% pressure rate in week one. That was the lowest in the league, despite facing Washington, a team I think we expect to generate a lot of pressure. But meanwhile, with the Cowboys, I mean, they're involved in these shootouts because their defense is just undermanned. And from a fantasy perspective, that boosts their opponent's passing yards by 6% per attempt and passing touchdowns by 44% per attempt. That latter number is the highest rate in football. And so I think it's just going to be a shootout from both sides of things. I actually have Herbert as my number one quarterback this week. Um, So I think that makes him an awesome option for you in traditional formats. 
love him in FanDuel this week, $7,600. It's just a lot less expensive than the like every week elite guys like your Mahomes is of the world. Uh, I just think he's a great value and it's kind of hard to stack a little bit, but like you can kind of get him in there, bringing in Mike Williams isn't quite as expensive as some of the other guys. Like I want to get as many guys in this game as I can in my DFS lineups. Yeah. You, maybe you could go Herbert Williams and then run it back with one of the Dallas receivers. And then you'll, you'll just have to pay down to other positions. You know, maybe the Mitchell savings or some of the tight ends that you mentioned, you know, you yeah. also have to pay, you know, obviously you can always pay down on defense. So I'm going to, I, I have to have some DFS exposure in this game, even though it's going to be at a retail price. Absolutely. And his useful title points out that he's maybe a little bit panicking over Ezekiel Elliott's bad first fantasy week, having him in his fantasy team. I'm not too worried about that. As mentioned, the Bucks are the number one DVOA run defense from last season. I just thought that was really a, a really poor matchup. He'll be more involved going forward and more effective um, probably starting this week. Although I do think the Chargers defense may be a little bit better than we thought. It's just not going to keep the points off the board this, this week. All right, next up, Titans at Seahawks, 425 in Seattle, 59 degrees and, and a 58% chance of a little bit more significant rain than I mentioned earlier. And that's just like adding to the punches here for the Titans offense. So the main question I think is, should we be panicked about the Titans offense after their, their really poor performance at home in week one? I'm not going to worry about, it. you know, there were six games last year where Derrick Henry didn't pop a hundred yards. He went yeah. over a hundred yards in every game at the, the subsequent game and had nine touchdowns in those six games. I mean, obviously they had leakage in pass blocking and, and Chandler Jones was, was practically a Titans running back that how quickly he was getting in the backfield. But <laughs> I believe, I believe in Mike Vrabel and, and I know Todd Downing, you know, he didn't do his play action as much last week. And that was a little bit frustrating because that's such a cheat code for the Titans, but I yeah. still think there's good infrastructure there. And they're going to keep this game competitive. I think they're a great bet at plus six. And I, I just, I, when a team is embarrassed that I believe in, I have to give them the bet for the doubt the next week. I'm not backing off my Titans. I'm not going to disagree with you there from a general perspective. And like the main thought tied to that is like the Titans, I think probably felt they had to abandon their preferred play action passing game when they were down so much so quickly um, that I think that like in a more neutral game script, which will be the, the general norm, I expect that that'll be fine. And I think they'll probably have success in all of that. All that said this week, I'm still not loving it. As mentioned, they're on the road. Ryan Tannehill has averaged 7.1 fewer fantasy points per game on the road than at home in recent seasons with the Titans. That's the most extreme split in that direction of any relevant fantasy quarterback. So I'm, I'm already kind of only starting Tannehill in fantasy in his home games. Plus you're kind of going to Seattle where again, it may rain. That could be bad for the passing offense. The Seahawks defensive front, I, I thought they were unexpectedly really impressive against the Colts. Uh, the Colts only allowed an 18% pressure rate on offense last season, was third, uh, third lowest. But the Seahawks generated 32% pressure last week, and I thought some of their kind of unheralded, underdrafted guys really looked really good. I, like, I don't even know anybody's name off the top of my head, but like as a unit, I was pretty impressed with the Seahawks. And that's why I'm not really in love with a lot of the Titans' skill options this week from a fantasy perspective, even though in the long term, I think they're going to be fine. Obviously, we'd like rain can be overrated for fantasy. It's mm -hmm. generally the wind that we worry about. That, that's very true. You would, you would like a clear track because Seattle has an offense where we know where the ball's going. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have two dynamic receivers. And, man, Tennessee could not stop anything Arizona <laughs> tried to do last week. I, I know sometimes they actually defended well and just Kyler Murray made a play that's going to happen. But Russell Wilson's going to do that sometimes too. I, I think this is a week where Lockett and, and Metcalf, I think they're both going to score again. Yeah. Like one thing that's funny with the rain that can often shift some of the workload away from the pass and towards the run. Like I wouldn't be that stunned if Derrick Henry was like running 40 times for 250 yards this week. And then everybody would be like, Oh, oh yeah, that's what Derrick Henry does. 
Um, that, that being said, I actually think my preferred DFS play is the other running back, Chris Carson. It's $6,700 in FanDuel. I think that's kind of a mild $300 underpricing, but like looking among the, the higher tier backs, harder to find that value. I just think it's a pretty good matchup being at home. The Titans boost rushing yards and touchdowns by 4% and 22% per carry, both top 12 in, in, in football. Rashad Penny isn't going to play. I don't think that's that big of a deal because I'm a big Alex Collins guy, but I think Carson's just in a favorable enough matchup that I'm an advocate for him this week in DFS. What do you Chris, think there? Chris Collins has been underrated his entire career. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, heading to the Sunday night game, we got the Chiefs at Ravens. It's in Baltimore, 74 degrees and clear. Uh, the Ravens had some major problems on the offensive line in week one. And so I know that's going to maybe be a problem for some of the running backs until they get that those injuries sorted out. But do you think that could sabotage Lamar Jackson's fantasy season too? Well, I'm curious if they can get Hollywood Brown in this game, who I thought looked really good, but much better than I expected in week one after yeah. a summer where he didn't do a lot. But then he's been out of practice most of this week. I haven't heard the Friday news yet. I think they need Brown. I was disappointed that Mark Andrews was running as many routes, but was as pretty much a non-factor in that first week mm -hmm. jackson you know he, it's he always has a nice fantasy floor because he's he's gonna run for anywhere from 40 to like 90 yards and he has a good yeah. chance at a touchdown the, the ravens have not played the chiefs well in in recent years uh, even though they've both been the kingpins of the afc but i still like baltimore with the points in this game baltimore has a legitimate home field advantage not everybody does the chiefs have become a little bit of a ats tax team i think they're 10 and 10, 2 and 10 in their last 12 games i thought they did just enough to win against the browns but really didn't play anywhere near yeah their best effort you, you know as great as hill and kelsey are i think the chiefs are going to regret not having a third impact offensive player unless ceh becomes that or hardman becomes that and I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm getting sick of waiting for those things to happen. <laughs> I know Harvard's just a year two player, but I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, CEO, yeah. she's just a year two yeah. guy, but yeah. imagine, imagine if they drafted Deandre Swift and DK Metcalf instead, for example, I, it's a little unfair to cherry pick that, but I think Baltimore is the right side in this game. But I, again, until I know the situation with Brown, it's hard for me to know what to do with, with Jackson. And also, I mean, even though I thought Williams ran pretty well, he made a couple of mistakes. I think he blew one block. There might have been a ball security issue on mm -hmm. one play. I saw more of Latavius Murray last week than I wanted to. And so that means I probably can't play a Baltimore running back in this game, even though up against the Chiefs, that's one of the things we always want to do. But I'm leery on doing it. I think the Latavius Murray thing was probably more about the specific looks they were seeing from the Raiders, mm -hmm. where, again, they were like, crashing in along the edges and it, it kind of led to a, a more approachable attack straight up the middle, kind of more Latavius Murray's game. But I think it kind of all gets back to the offensive lines. It's like left tackle Ronnie Stanley is, an, is a former all pro guy, but like he's clearly not hundred percent coming off last year's ankle injury. I think he's not going to play this week. It looks like mm -hmm. the team traded Orlando Brown to the chiefs because Brown wanted to play left, uh, wanted to play left tackle instead of right tackle his replacement, Alejandro Villanueva. He's switching from left tackle to right tackle, and he didn't look great in week one. Tyree Phillips was carted off in week one. I have to imagine he's going to be out missing time. So I just, there's so many problems up front there. And you're kind of right about how Jackson may be a little bit insulated from that. Cause like normally as a guy that, that feasts on those designed runs was kind of scrambling a lot in week one and, and turned that into a lot of yardage that would have made for a big fantasy day if he hadn't lost those, those two fumbles. But I'm super worried about what's going on with the, the Ravens right now. I think when healthy, they're one of my favorite teams in football, but frankly, I'm not going to be betting on them even with their home field advantage and getting points in week one. And I think it's, it's a tough move to go after a lot of those guys in fantasy with, with so much uncertainty on, on the offensive line. In a short turnaround week and yep. in a game where they played an emotional physical overtime game as well. 
Absolutely. Um, you mentioned Clyde Edwards-Alaire not having a lot of success so far from a fantasy perspective in his career, but I still like him in FanDuel at 5900 this week and $900 underpriced in my mind. What I like is the workload. So played 72% of the offensive snaps in week one, saw 17 total touches, just one for Daryl Williams, none for Jarek McKinnon, who I actually thought might be a little bit more involved Me than he too. was. Um, but with CEH playing like like a bell cow, basically, I'm going to keep riding him. I, I know it hasn't really worked out so far in his career, but his five rushing touchdowns are, are 1.8 fewer than the 6.8 expected rushing touchdowns mm-hmm. using Mike Clay's opportunity adjusted rushing touchdown methodology there. More often than not, that's something that kind of evens out over the long term where, where backs aren't really skilled at scoring touchdowns as much as like some backs are given more opportunities to score them than others. So I think the luck is going to improve. And I think with as much work as he's getting, CEH is a pretty good option for you in DFS in the meantime. You know, I think I'm in a position where I need to see it before I, I act on CEH, but the case you make That's is fair. perfectly reasonable. And I also want to say, I, I thought before the season that McKinnon was a nice sleeper for Kansas yeah, City. He I was know, right? hardly used in week one. I'm going to give him one more week on my bench to see if, the Chiefs maybe have a package for him or a few snaps for him before maybe I, I look to other guys. But I, I still think he may be somebody that we're going to be – he's going to be on waiver wires as an interesting prospect in a few games. I still think there's some talent there, and I'm going to give That'd him one great. more week before I drop him. I'd love for him to come back. I mean, it's a, it's been a really unfortunate string of injuries and stuff in his career, but this would be a really cool place for him to revive it and be effective for you in fantasy in the long term. All right, Scott, we got one more game. Lions at Packers, Monday night, 8-15 in Green Bay. Still pretty good weather there, too, 72. There are some modest wins here, but I don't think anything that's going to scare you away from, from Aaron Rodgers with his arm strength. But there may be other reasons to be panicking about the Packers. So, Scott, what do you think of this offense? Should you be concerned after what happened in week one? I mean, when a good team is embarrassed, I just expect them to, to fix. They went to the NFC Championship game two years in a row. Rodgers was the yeah. MVP last year. They have most of the same guys back. True. I got to figure it's a, and the Lions offered little resistance on defense to the 49ers. So not only am I going to play all my normal Packers, but when you look at the air yards from last week, I think uh, MVS, uh, Valdez Gantling is a great, if you want to pay down at receiver, I think he's in a great position. Agreed. The, the Packers are getting 35 plus here. What I'm <laughs> curious about with the Lions is that I was all worried, man, their wide receiver room is terrible and maybe it's just going to hurt the efficiency of the offense. I don't know if Jared Goff will be able to throw passes to Hawkinson if he's not clearly open, if he has the trust of that. And they have two running backs that could cannibalize each other. Well, although a lot of it was in garbage time, the Lions concentrated the ball to their three best fantasy options, right? Both of the backs mm-hmm. and Hawkinson all had fantastic yep. games. Again, a lot of it came late, but whatever, it still counts. I also thought Quintus Cephas was interesting. Yep. Like a player I liked in the Big Ten. He had a touchdown late in that game. I think a two-point conversion. Tyrell Williams may not go in this game. So if you're really punting at receiver, if you're in a super deep league and need to pick up a receiver, I think Cephas has some interest. The obvious guys are going to play in this game. I think both teams are going to move the ball fairly well. The Packers will still win. But my sleepers in this game are MVS and Cephas. Yeah, I mean, I think Cephas is intriguing too, but I think it's probably more a stash because this game being on Monday night, mm-hmm. Tyrell Williams is probably going to be questionable heading into this week coming off the concussion last week. So you may not know going into the game whether Cephas is going to be the number two, number three, whatever receiver. So like could have a big game if Williams doesn't play, but maybe leave him on your bench in the meantime is kind of my thought. Uh, with the Packers, I can't disagree. I mean, just looking at the opponents, I think people were, again, sleeping on the Saints this this uh, offseason, not so much for the Winston angle, but they were last year's number three DBA pass defense. It's just a really tough matchup. And while obviously the like the extre- extremity of that beatdown uh, in Jacksonville last week, that was like a weird thing. 
flipping from the number three DVOA pass defense to the number 30, 32 DVOA pass defense, it's going to be fine for, for Rogers. And then this week, I'm a little bit concerned about the pass protection stuff. You know, they lost Brian Balaga and Corey Lindsley to the chargers and free agency the last two off seasons, all pro left tackle, David Bakhtiari is on the PUP list, still coming back from his torn ACL from last year. But I think over the course of the year, I think this team will, will kind of get it together up front. As mentioned, like the quarterback has more to do with pass pressure than a lot of times than, than the actual pass protectors do. So like Rogers is going to figure that out. I think it's going to work out. It actually makes for what I think is the sneakiest DFS play here is actually Aaron Jones, not Aaron Rodgers. Jones is $7,000 in FanDuel. I think that's $400 underpriced. Kind of flipping it from the pass defense to the run defense angle, the Saints were number two in DVA run defense last year. The Lions were number 27. And because the Lions are undermanned on defense and tend to fall behind in games, they boost run plays by 13% and rushing yards and, and touchdowns by 8% and 50% per attempt. All three of those numbers are top seven in football. Definite get right potential, I would say here for the Packers this week. A lot of those guys are going to be useful for you in fantasy, right, Scott? Yeah, I'm, I'm even curious to see if they have eight to 12 touches for A.J. Dillon. Remember, the Packers mm-hmm. had like 12 snaps in the first half last week. You yeah, just have to throw that game out, nod to the Saints. They, they forced a lot of that, but you just can't take that result seriously. Green Bay's getting 30 plus in this game. Absolutely. Scott, that was tremendous. I really enjoyed previewing all the games with you. Hopefully all of our watchers on twitch.tv slash FBOutsiders did as well. But catch everybody up listening and otherwise where they can catch all of your great work over on Yahoo and what all you have going on. Thanks for having me. That was a blast. And I'm a, I'm a longtime reader and fan of Football Outsiders. So just keep doing all the great work you guys do over Thanks. there. Aaron yeah, Schatz and company cannot say enough how much I respect your work and how I use it. I Every week I'm, I'm calling up your stats and it's, it's just a a flagship for any fantasy analyst. I think uh, you can Love follow it. me on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. I'm on a couple of our podcasts every week. One of them is centered around free agent pickups. One of them is centered on trying to pick the games. Uh, I do a piece on Thursday where I pick bus candidates for the week. And then we have our fantasy football live show on, on Sunday morning, 90 minutes before kickoff where we handle all the hot news and you know, the NFL. Now it's a seven day a week thing. Stuff happens Sunday morning that nobody saw coming. So you really Absolutely. need that time to get your best roster out there. And Hey, if your first week didn't go right, if your roster already feels kind of shipwrecked, you can still join another fantasy football league over at Yahoo. So uh, Yahoo Sports is where to find me and Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. Everybody follow Scott. Check out all of his work. Useful title on Twitch says it was a great show. He loves all of your work on Yahoo, Scott. So got a big fan there. Thanks for everybody for listening. You can, again, check us out, The Football Outsiders. We have various Twitch shows every day of the week, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash Outsiders. Aaron's going to be doing some review work on Monday of the games that happened. You can next catch me on Tuesday at 1 p.m. doing waiver wire uh, talk with Derek Klassen. So look forward to that. Thanks again for being on, Scott, and we'll catch everybody next time.